2: They tried to colonize us, tried to genocide us Yet we're still here with the tongue unbroken so Hakake wa aštekat yohan aṭlend gnel chish hak e dīsa ahi shenki tuk atangi ktiyik e hajati yidat wa saḥt hū yek e dad yaku atletu hu chakūdzi owehas ya du'a akaya adaki has tu i has aultu gnel chish thank you the dawn has broken on us again the daylight has broken on us again. We are in the Thingit language nest here with the teachers in the place where the children are taught our language. Uh, this is modeled after several language nests that we have seen and heard about. And basically the idea is to have a home environment where you put children in and you don't speak any English. And then they become speakers of the language. It's effective It works. It's very difficult. Sometimes um, in interactions with my own kids, sometimes with children that were here, I would look and I think, these kids are going to kill the language because sometimes they're difficult to deal with. But the reality is, it's wonderful When, when you see kids who can understand, who start speaking the language themselves. When our language went probably 60 years without making a single speaker who knew it from birth, you know, maybe, and and then to have children who are learning it essentially as a first language now. And so they come in here, the, ch- the kids who come in, they can usually speak English uh, already. And some of them don't know anything, yet, but you give it a couple months and, and they can understand and they start speaking. Uh, so it's a blessed day here uh, at the place where the magic happens. And I'm so excited to have this conversation. It's, Take two for us, but you don't know that. <laughs> and so uh, we're going to try and stay loose, have fun. Uh, we'll start with telling the people who you are. Has to inkalani kisai, kadasai toasaku, hasawasku itat. Kunchish.
3: Kunchish. Kastin yuhut dua sok, lingit enach, laikach enach, jil yuhut dua sok. Chukanedi hitsati, khayet dach, kahunakawu um hi my name is joe my name is costine um i am Chukanadi, which is eagle brown bear uh, I come to you guys from Huna. I live now in Juneau. Um, I am the child. My dad is white, but I am also the child and grandchild of the of the Tan. My in-laws are the Tluknach Adi. And we have one daughter whose name is Kachkanik, and she is also Tluknach Adi um, I am a Tlingit language teacher now, which I am so happy to be. Um, it's such a great, par- great part of my life now. Um,
4: Guna? Yes Yes, Gunaertish Renee, Gunaertish is something that They use it so when I have no doubt They're being and water after looming for a坑 under the border No Teddy, cause Southern Toshoni. Just um, caught Quan, Ya, Ya uh, my slingit name is Daschini. My second slingit name is Kukau De'u. It was given to me by the Shungu by King Ste. I'm Yanwasha. My father's people and my in-laws are the Tluknahadi. My grandfather's people are the Kanakhtedi and Southern Tushoni. Um, I come from the Jishkat Kwan or Chilkat area and Shaukoshay, which is Dalton Post in the Yukon Territory, Canada. Um and I'm a Tlingit language teacher and I work with uh 3 to 5 year olds in the language nest and I'm just really happy to be able to be doing this with my life. I never thought that I'd have my dream job. <laughs> um and here I am. So gunas cheese. cheese.
5: Nila Thanks for listening to us folks. This is uh, Nila Toga. We're the Athabaskan and Iyak. Um my home right now is on Thinget land, and so that's why I study Thinget. And uh thanks for listening. Hey Johan. Uh Nak Aksai uh
3: Lost away. <laughs> 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 um, Kik Sadi Khatsati, I'm Raven Frog, and um, Kik Kwan Dach, I'm from Cake. Uh,
6: Gunnish Cheesh, is <laughs> Isa Ach I Gunnish Cheesh, Johan, Khatayash Gaiselten, Sinkit Enoch. Uh, Claire Heldison, sagt so, like, uh, Enoch. Uh, hi everyone, my name is Claire Helgeson I'm an adopted member of the Wushkitan, um, although I my family originates from Ireland and Norway and Finland. Um, I am a up and coming substitute here at the Nest. I've been kind of working behind the scenes with the team for the past almost. 3 years now and I love my job so much. Oh, goodness
2: Yak Yeah, goodness cheese. Okay. So, uh let's start with teaching kids and running a language nest. What is it about? What's it like? And uh, maybe we could think of some stories we could share with folks. Some of them might be funny, some of them might be inspirational, but just the doing this uh on a daily basis or on a regular basis and having children in here for a significant amount of time like you know hours and hours and to spend that time with them and having kids in the language I guess for a starting point of our conversation is what is a language nest and how do you do it
4: and my is Mary Cruz. I forgot to tell you that on take one and take two. <laughs> so <laughs> Ooh, I know. Um, all right. So what is it to work in a language nest? And what is it like? What is the experiences? We have a lot of different kinds of experiences. Some are Uh, almost traumatizing to us as teachers. But for the most part, it's been really good. We have had kind of some on and off years, um, you know, with COVID and then getting licensing through the state of Alaska and all different kinds of things. But I would say that overall, um, there's so much inspiration to be had in this classroom. Like, for example, we haven't seen our returning kids for almost three months, you know, they got out of school in May and they just came back to us. This Tuesday was their first day. And I can't believe how much uh, language they retained, how much they can understand when we're asking them to do different things or to not do different things. And they're really being those role models for the kids, the new kids who've never been in this classroom and maybe never been in a classroom period. Um, It's been really helpful. Um, You know, I've been amazed at how quickly children catch on. Um, We have last year we started in November after COVID. So it was a little bit of a late start and we hadn't seen the kids like in person for almost two years and we get them into the classroom. And within the first week we have this little boy and he's been with us kind of a lot on and off. Right. And he says, (laughs) Okay. And I was thinking, oh my goodness, he just told me, that's enough of you eating now, Doc Jenny. <laughs> and this continued, you know, and then pretty soon, a few weeks in, you know, all these kids are just talking to us like this. They're talking to us in Tlingit, but they're really bossing us around. And I I met with the team and I said, You guys, I think we need to reevaluate how we're talking to the children because I think that they're talking to us the way that we're talking to them in Flingit, right? <laughs> you know, that imperative form. We all know it. We know how to tell you to do something or to not do something. Right. But how do we make more complicated language so that these kids are not just bossing us around and Klingit? it. So we started changing the way we talk to them. You know, don't climb up there. I don't want you to fall or, you know, let's speak with kindness, different things like that. And and it really shifted the way they talk. But we just it, it made us really have a lot of laughs in here when they were bossing us around in and Klingit and it made us very proud. <laughs> um, yeah. So I just think there's so many different things. Like right now we just started the year. We have nine kids last year. We only had six and I'm kind of going, Oh my gosh, this is crazy. We have not five new kids. We have four returning kids and i just feel like overwhelmed we've changed our schedule around a little bit and like it just seems very overwhelming to me and yesterday i was talking to Khune outside and i said i think i made a mistake by having 9 kids in here this year i said this is really hard and this is overwhelming and his response was well they say that that magic mark is at 3 months you know when they start really grasping the language and understanding and speaking the language and i could just say well, it's going to be a long three months, folks. <laughs> but no, it's really good. It's so inspiring. You know, our children can, you know, after a few months with us, they can joke with us or isolating verb roots. I told my son one day, I said, ich khan, and that means I love you. And the, the verb root in that is. Khan. And he turned around and he looked at me and he said, ich akli. <laughs> and. Chun, the verb root of Chun is like stinky. So I guess I'm stinky now. So, (laughs) But but the point of that is like these children are able to isolate the verb roots and make jokes in our language. And um, it really shows us what they're able to grasp. We don't teach verb roots in here or um, what the classifiers are or anything like that. They just pick it up naturally. And that's what's so cool about this environment is... That it's a natural environment. We're just speaking the language all the time, and when the kids are ready, they start speaking the language, and it's just been so amazing. Does anybody else want to speak to their experience in here? Okay,
3: Um Yeah, so this is technically my second year with the nest. I joined um, early last year, and so last year was my first like full year working with the kids. And just like Duff Jenny said, it's so inspiring to see these kids and like the growth that i saw from the beginning of last year to the end was phenomenal um you know the same the same child that you were talking about um that said "day by i would say by like mid-year he was starting to put together sentences like full sentences of things that again were never like explicitly taught but we were outside one day and he his hands were cold. So we put my gloves on and he looked at me and he said, Wu wat and he said, my hand broke. And so I went over to grab it and he was kind of like hiding his hand, you know, so that the glove was all floppy and it was just a phenomenal moment of these kids are picking this up. It's so great. Um, and even, you know, like, like I said, I have a daughter, she is also a recent graduate from the nest and So I've gotten to use, you know, the language with her here in the classroom and the language with her at home. And I think both of like both of our language growth just from that first year of working here has been so amazing. And like I'm at the point now where um, I try to explain something to her like a new verb. And she's like, what does that mean? And I can explain it to her in the language and she will understand it. It's really great. Um, but going back to what you were saying about like making jokes in the language, I think is probably one of my favorite things Um, because all these kids, they have such a like sense of humor. They're such little like jokesters. Ikhsechan is one of my favorite ones. (laughs) It's so great. Um, But I'm thinking back to um, like some of the earlier jokes that I saw. Um, My daughter, Kachkanik, I don't remember what we were doing, but she was like, just playing with Sean Oksay And uh, I remember she said, you do a took. <laughs> <laughs> so the so the verb for like, kind of like what my name is, but it's kind of like what I am called is, you hit do a sock. And the verb there sock means to like be called or be named. And um, she identified that and changed that to you do a took, which took means butt <laughs> and it's it's so much fun these like these jokes that these kids are making you know it's just so just so incredible to see see their mind like absorb the knowledge absorb how it functions and then replace things with it's usually like took or hot or guat <laughs> so, those are the ones that we really see which is like butt and poop and fart, <laughs> which I think are always just universal. But I mean, to see our kids do that in the language, it's just like, oh, my God, sometimes I can cry, <laughs> sometimes of laughter, but a little bit of both.
5: Nila Toga, Aya. This is Nila Toga. Um, my English name is Anna Clock. And I came to the Language Nest as a teaching practicum student, and I'm currently studying Thinged. Um, through a scholarship program. It's a partnership between our University of Alaska Southeast and C. Alaska Heritage Institute. And so, um, you know, they funded our schooling. And part of the deal is that we get to meet sort of the language teachers, um, coordinators in the community, and do a teaching practicum to get some experience Well, Yatutin came to our language revitalization class. I was taught by Ida Heather Burge last spring or last fall, and I was immediately nosy. I was like, I need to know what's going on in there. I need to meet folks. I need this practice because immersion for me is super fun. It's kind of like my heart will start racing, and then I feel like I'm driving really fast, recalling everything, making quick decisions, and it is such a thrill for me. So. Um, right away I wanted in. I asked her if they'd be willing to host a language uh, practicum student and pretty soon Ida made that connection for me. So anyway that's all to say uh, I was really grateful to show up. I came last spring when they were about halfway through their semester already so I was the new kid in school I was super intimidated it's embarrassing to be intimidated and want to be accepted by a group of three to five year olds but (laughs) Hone told me this is a safe space, so that's why I'm sharing. (laughs) (laughs) But uh, yeah, it's just been a thrill ever since. So having a good um, experience and yeah, back this fall.
6: Uh, I think since I started my language journey, like learning Tlingit about four and a half years ago in university and like finding out about this space when it opened, I've always been drawn to just like the power of of the movement and the people who who started this thing because um since I've been able to interact with you all, the lead teachers, Mm -hmm. I just notice how there's there's never like an eye batted at the obstacles because the motivation for the work is so strong and um there's just such a joy and love in in this space and it's special because it's a really lasting feeling. Like we know that we're helping these kids learn something that they're going to keep with them for the rest of their life. And it's like really, it's really getting to a part of like their identity that um, is so important in these early years. And um, just to see them gain that confidence is just so much um, joy and so much motivation to to overcome those obstacles that we face and um, that the language faces. Oh, yeah, geez.
4: Yeah, this is Datsjani again. I just wanted to um, mention uh, we do have a, another teacher. She's a co-lead teacher with me. Her name is Yetutin or Mallory Story, and she um, is adopted Sagweidi And her and her partner are very big advocates in our language, and they're probably some of the more advanced speakers of our language, and. Um, she is not with us right now because she just had a baby. Woo! So we're really looking forward to having her little A t- in our class when um little Adeline turns three. So uh she'll be with us um probably starting in November or December. But I just wanted to bring her into this into this space with us. Gunchish.
2: Uh so thinking back of how a lot of this stuff started, I think it was 2013. And I went to the International Conference of Language Documentation and Conservation, the ICLDC, in Hawaii. And so you start with a couple days of meetings at the University University of Hawaii at Manoa uh, in Honolulu. And, and I remember going there, and, and just it was incredible. It was great to just talk to people doing stuff in languages. And then it included this field tour to the schools at Hilo. So we go over to university of hawaii at hilo and we kind of start there and i think we kicked off with another couple of days but the big difference that i saw is they had a whole building that was dedicated to their language so they're the college of hawaiian language which is called kahaka ula is located there and then i just noticed it was just different just to have your own space for your language. And then we went to the Ahapunanaleo and to Navahi. So we, we toured their language nest and then we also toured their language medium school. And then once I saw that stuff, I thought, okay, this is something really different than what I imagined it could be. Like I, I don't think I could even imagine what it was like before I saw it. And then once I saw that, I said, I think we need to do this. We need to figure out how to get ourselves here. So we came back, I ran to be a delegate of uh, our tribe. It's the Central Council of Tlingit and Haida. They're the ones who run this program. They're the largest tribe in Alaska. Uh, their support has been incredible in terms of making this happen and, and putting a lot behind it. You have to put a lot of resources behind something like this to make it happen. And so I remember seeing an article about the Cherokee language and how they're they had a language program that sounded so big that they had a technology department in their language program. And I thought, we don't even have a language program. We just, we have these different things. And so as a delegate, we wrote a resolution that said, start a language program. And then the next year we wrote uh, tribal statutes that said, start a tribal schools program. And so that that we thought would open the door to have these things move forward. And then just kept pushing and pushing and, and trying to figure out like, how could we replicate this? How could we possibly do it? And uh, Yakutat, Yakutat is a community North of us. And they started a language nest, I think a year before this one started. And so we collectively were collaborating and talking and thinking about how things would work. We brought uh, some folks over from Hawaii to meet with us and in some ways break our hearts because uh, we kept talking about all these ideas and, and the, the wonderful thing I think about working with some of the folks in Hawaii is when you first meet them and you say, What should we do? How should we do it? And the emails I'd get would be very polite and say, I don't want to tell you what to do and I I don't know. And then but once you really get to know them, you say, Well, I think I'm gonna do this. And they'll say, That won't work. Don't do it. <laughs> yeah, so <laughs> and but they were right. I mean they've they've built this thing. And what what I try to keep in mind is when I do go to Hawaii and when I see their programs and what they have is I'm trying to say, I might be looking 30 years into our future, but we're going to have to construct it in ways that work for us, but that do model these successful programs. So we're going to continue this conversation, but right now I'm going to take a little break, listen to some advertisements, people trying to sell us hopefully good things, nothing that's too horrible and damaging to our earth (laughs) Uh, we'll be right back what's happening baby this colonization shit got you down you gotta get on this decolonization groove yeah it's time for language revitalization all across north america The land, the language, coming back into the hands of future generations where it all belongs. Rise up and have your voices be heard. Defeat all the colonial forces that try to hold you down.
7: Are you tired of your scented cleaning products smelling and cleaning like meh? Then it's time for an upgrade. The ones with the little umbrella. Refresh your home to feel like an all-inclusive vacation by getting Clorox Centiva. Also available in grapefruit and lavender scents at a nearby retail store.
8: Like many of us, you might think identity theft will never happen to you. But consider this. There's a new identity theft victim every three seconds in the U.S. That's over 15 million people by the end of this year
2: so before the break we were sort of talking a little bit about how do you start a language nest and what was the process so i guess and we we are talking about working with kids and we're talking about some of the things to do within some of your organizations but just like so this is a it's not a visual medium people are just listening so what are we seeing in this space? How did this space get created? What did you think about in terms of a, a daily schedule, right? Because it sounds wonderful and magical, but then to say, okay, let's let's say we have folks who feel like they're, they're certainly learning the language and certainly can understand it, but just to say, okay, you are going to live in the language for eight hours with nine kids who are under five years old. Like suddenly you have a scenario where you're in charge of, of the children and also of their activities and their lives and how they're getting along with each other and how, how much they're listening to you folks and, and learning. And this is all done within the language. And so I think you gotta have a plan in order to do this kind of stuff. And you probably also have to adjust that plan as you go along. So I guess from that standpoint, like how did it how did it start? And how did you come to where you're at now and what recommendations might you have for folks who are hoping to do this themselves?
4: Well, I I want to thank you, Renee, because you're really the one who pushed everything forward. And you're also the one who pushed me into this job. This is Dosh Ginny. Um, <laughs> so I'm I'm really grateful for it. You know, when I got my, my teaching license and my master's in education, I was like, I'm never teaching below third grade. And now I'm teaching preschool. So, you know, life throws some surprises at you sometimes. Um, so, I mean, really, one of the big things that we we did is we opened up under an organization and Hune mentioned that we're under um, central council clinket and haida indian tribes of alaska um so we got a child care center license through the state of alaska so that was lots and lots of hoops jumping through and and just learning the system um you know, is very, it's very demanding, right? You have to have somebody with the qualifications to be able to run, run this as an administrator. And because I had my master's, that's, that was the role I played. Um, And so after getting it open, we didn't get to open till, I think we got it. We got the ANA Esther Martinez grant and um, that, that funded us for the past four years. And so that was you know, a huge feat for us to be able to get the funding to open the doors and to get things rolling. Um, And we actually just received another ANA Esther Martinez grant, so we got that for the next five years. So, you know, there's just lots of hoops and different things to jump through. Things that we have to keep track of, like within our program, you know, our our staff needs to get their child development associates. Those are CDAs. You can do them mostly online uh, or through some early childhood programs. So those are key pieces to making sure that you have enough staff for years. Well, like two and a half years, I was the only one who had to be here at all times. And so if I ever wanted to take a day off, we had to close the nest. And then a couple years later, Yetu Teen, Mallory Story, got her uh, CDA equivalent. And now we have two other staff in our room who got their CDA equivalent. So now we're building that capacity so that we're not burning out our our lead teachers or just our staff in general by having to work really long hours or feeling like we can't take time off. So there's all those little details um, in terms of like building the program and building that capacity and things of that nature um day to day i would say uh things shift a lot this is probably only our we ran in spring of 2019 and then 2019 2020 we closed in march and then we did online classes so this is going to be like only our this will be our first full year if we make it through this year without some kind of like pandemic hitting or something again you know this will be because we've done partial years um And even within those partial years, we saw amazing growth. So we're really like we're trying different hours this year. Last year we did two days a week and we did long days, 10 hour days. So like 7.30 to 5.00, 5.30 and we had four staff. So we split our shifts. Somebody would do morning and somebody would do afternoon. And then we'd have like four hours in the middle where we were all together. Um, And what we found was even though we were only doing two days a week, We were kind of burning ourselves out and and burning out the kids. Like 10 hours is a long day for kids in a language that they may have never heard before. So this year we shifted our schedule. We're doing kind of preschool hours. So we're doing 8.30 to 3. um, But then you have to consider working families. And so now we have a lot of families saying, well... You know, those hours don't really work for me. And so now we're opening at eight for drop off and we're providing after school care. And pretty soon we'll be providing after school transportation because that's how important our program is to us, that we are willing to take in a lot of overtime hours. We're willing to do a lot of the extra coordination and work to make sure that we have our families, if, if they want to participate in this program they do sacrifices, too. They participate in family events. There's lots of different ways they have to sacrifice. So if we want our program to be successful, we have to make those sacrifices as well. And that's something all of us from the beginning have been willing to do and, and will continue to do. Um. Yeah, so we started with our nine kids. We thought our schedule was solid. Um, we're finding that it's too many transitions, not enough time just enjoying choices or that social emotional development so I might have I don't know Costine if she wants to speak to some of the other things that we've been doing in the classroom and kind of some pieces of advice if you guys are wanting to start um, a language nest and i just think you know for us building capacity you know we're constantly like yes we want a practicum student yes we want another contractor in the room yes we want this and we want that we want anybody who's willing native non-native if you're willing to work in our language and learn our language with us and teach it then we want you because what we're finding in in southeast alaska or and i'm sure most languages are dealing with this capacity is an issue so when you start a program you're probably competing with another program for hiring some language teachers for your program. And so the more capacity that we can build, uh, I think the better off all the programs um, will be. So I'll pass it over to Kosteen.
3: Goodness, Um Yeah, you mentioned um, that you never thought that you would be teaching under what, third grade? And I mean, I never thought that I would be a teacher. <laughs> um, so, I mean, I, you know, I, Went to the University of Alaska Southeast. I got my degree in Alaska Native Languages and Studies. And I took a lot of language classes with Une. And I remember many, many times him telling us that if you're going to be working in this language, you're probably going to be end up teaching. And I just remember thinking, nah, that's not me. I don't want to teach. And then here I am. And I'm teaching preschool. And it's honestly like... The most rewarding thing in my life. I, now that I'm here, I'm like, I cannot imagine doing anything else. It's, it's just, it's so much fun. It's so rewarding in my life. And, you know, to feel like I'm doing something for our language and our people. Um, it's, yeah, I can imagine doing anything else now. Oh, oh, so yeah, we, um, so this is like technically a child care center, right? And like Dr. Jenny mentioned, um, she has her master's. And because I came into this without any teaching experience at all, any like childcare experience, um, I did work over the last year and I was just recently awarded my CDA, which is yay, uh, my um, child development associate certification. And it was a lot of work. Um, like I did do like online training, but there was a lot more than that. Like I had to do have a certain amount of classroom hours and a licensed childcare facility i had to um create a portfolio with like philosophy statements and reflections and knock did the same t- same thing too she just recently got hers too Ooh. it's so great to have um yeah four staff now with that certification so that we can just trade off if somebody somebody needs to go or yeah i'll stay absolutely um but I think one thing that we ran into with that was we were trying to um, get that certification. So a part of that is that we have to have a classroom observation by somebody who is authorized to administer um, the child care certification. And we went to an early childhood conference that was hosted here in Juneau early. What was that last spring or early summer? And One of them, was one of the like sessions they had was on building your CDA portfolio. And so Nock and I went to that and we were, you know, putting it all together. We were allowed to ask questions and they were kind of guiding us through it. And they said that the observation, the classroom observation had to be in one language, right? And it had to be in the same language that your portfolio was going to be built in. So, because the portfolio is a really big, like, really big resource that you have to, like, write statements about, if we wanted to get observed here in the classroom, in Clingit, we would have had to have somebody who can understand Clingit and come in and understand what we're saying, understand what the kids are saying, and understand our portfolio, um, we ended up not needing to do that because we worked over the summer at a different childcare facility still under the tribe, which mainly uses English, but it was still, it was quite a struggle for us. And I know that Daph Jenny, you had a lot of conversations with, um, with those staff about like, how are we going to do this? Like, this is the place that, <laughs> this is where we work. We work with these kids. They're really familiar with us. Like, if i think if we were able to at the end of the year i would have been so comfortable doing the observation in here and you know with the kids that we had but it was just that hurdle of how in the heck are we going to do this we don't have anybody who's authorized to do that with those um with that skill um so i mean i don't know i guess i don't have any suggestions for like how you might be able to overcome that but um just something to think about and look uh, expect if you're also going to be working towards a language nest that like if you don't have a CDA equivalent to work in a childcare facility, like you're going to have to expect those hurdles. And it's a lot of you know, just some like decolonization that has to happen in our
4: in our systems. I'm actually going to add to that because I had so many conversations around the CDA and around our language. Um, the end result actually came out to be that the director of the early childhood program here in Juno said, we don't need to understand your language to see that you're doing good with the kids. And so we fought and I actually had the the tribe had had the organization not come forward and said, we can move forward in Tlingit and we can observe you in your classroom. Had that not happened, our tribe would have gone to bat for us. So I think Costine has a valid point that there will be hurdles like this, that if you want to do a CDA through your classroom, they might come at you and say, well, no, we don't have anybody who's qualified. Well, one we were going to go find somebody who could like we were going to ask Josh Jackson if he could become an observer and and um so you can you can find other avenues or you can fight it fight it tooth and nail and say no this is our land and this is our language and this is what needs to happen and and you can also just say you can come into any room and not understand the language and see whether or not we work well with children and i think that that was kind of That was the the point at the end where they were like okay we we can do this i think the board was fully supportive of it at the end but at that point we had already set everything up for these guys to be observed in a uh, english-speaking classroom and we needed it before i go moose hunting next month so it's (laughs) done now it's done anyways do you want to go for it
5: i think the only thing i can really contribute to this part of the conversation is about building language fluency um, because there's honestly a lot of things I just don't know how to do. Like, for example, I don't know how to make kids fall asleep. <laughs> <laughs> On Tuesday, my approach was to fall asleep
4: <laughs>
5: during nap time. It's called leading by example. <laughs> <laughs> and so I would look around the room at the other teachers like how are they doing this and they'd be whacking them on the back whack 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 and I'm like that would not make me fall asleep you guys also do I have consent to touch this person so like yesterday I'm sitting next to one of the littler ones and I'm like does she want me to touch her I'll just awkwardly try and I would like poke her in the back and withdraw my hand like it burned me and she would look up at me like who is this sketchy weirdo I'm not closing my eyes fire so um anyway yeah I have some room for improvement in that area but maybe if I take a cda class they'll teach me I don't know uh, yeah, so as far as uh, building fluency, I highly recommend um, participating in immersion. I took Thinget at UAS, uh, initially with Kangwask, Ishmael Hope, and then Hunay. We're always having elders help us, and um, it takes some humility and a sense of humor, but uh, just do it, because you don't get better at basketball by watching basketball on TV. Like you got to pick up the ball and throw it you got to uh, make mistakes and keep trying and just have fun with it. Cause when creates such a safe space in his classes. Um, and so it's kind of on us as the learners to step it up and give it a try. And I highly recommend
3: that. Yeah. I started coming to gawu um, when my daughter, she's 11 now when she was
6: like four. Um, and we were at the library <laughs> and, um, yeah, I, that's where we started, um,
3: gathering and doing immersion time. Kune's family, Dr. Jenny, and some other families. I just wanted to mention that.
2: Time for a second break. Uh, and, but I just want to mention like the transition that takes place when you do something like this as you go from a, a language being something that you study and practice to a language that you use and so one of the things that a language nest does is it creates a space where the language lives and for shengit on a daily basis this might be one of the only places like on earth where the language has primacy like it's the main language of communication and so it's so important this work that's happening and uh, when we come back we're going to talk about uh, individual language journeys and also Some of the tougher things I think that we face uh, looking at languages that are going from a state of high endangerment to a place of safety and some of the things that happen along that journey. So we'll be right back. Once I thought about a million birds all around the world sharing their songs thinking about the ways they have lived and they're gonna live and this is the way
7: are you tired of your scented cleaning products smelling and cleaning like meh? Then it's time for an upgrade with the power of Clorox Sentiva. With an uplifting scent that smells like coconut, Clorox Sentiva gives you powerful clean like Clorox, but a feeling like
2: The other way, one, the other one, the other one, the the other way, one, the one, the other the other way, one, one, so uh coming back from the break I was thinking about this is a podcast about language revitalization and decolonization and and that's the work that's going on right here it's like the practical, And like putting it into practice, putting into the lives of ourselves and into these children. Uh, But there's a component of it as well, which is when we lose a speaker and and Shingit is probably down to 40 speakers. I would say there's probably 10 master level speakers who who were raised in the language. And of those 10, uh, most of them are well over 70 years old. And some of them are getting close to 90. And so as we start to engage in some of these conversations, one of the things that does happen is we lose some of our speakers. And so I wanted to recognize Jaqeitla, Irene Cariente. She's Tehwedi. uh She was a wonderful, wonderful human being and speaker. She raised children who are leaders in our community. She went to the Pious Ten Missionary School in Shkakwe, and she shared stories with us about being hit on the hands with rulers for speaking Shingit, and yet she held on to the language. And so, I just I admire her her courage. I used to sit next to her and Yachtichakt, Lily, in Austin uh, at language gatherings, and they wouldn't talk a whole lot. They would just sit and watch everything. But they would turn to me and tell me how they would say the things that were being talked about. And so I'm so thankful that they spent time and that they taught me. And I think one of the difficult things for language learners that I sometimes share with folks, I say, okay, you're going to learn to speak this language. You're going to learn to understand it. You're going to learn how to speak it. And then you're going to be able to talk to these folks who, who have spent the mo- well, a big chunk of their lives probably waiting for somebody to talk to, somebody new. You know, and watching the numbers go down and down. And so I would say when some of them were born in the 1920s, there were thousands of Tlingit speakers. But Cyril George would talk to us and he'd say, even when I was born, we knew that we were losing our language and our culture. And then he would say, but now I look around and I see the people who are learning and I see what they can do. And it makes my head go up and think, well, we're not going to lose it then. And so I, I guess I want to talk a little bit about this transition. I want to uh, just make sure that everybody knows that when when we lose an elder, uh, those of us who speak the language, like a whole library burns down. And a lot of our people and a lot of people who are living on our land have no idea what just happened in terms of, you know, like a death is always a hard thing for families. It's always a hard thing for people who are close to to those folks. But as far as like when someone can speak and you lose them, like it can really, you know, there's there's whole languages where sometimes they've got all this momentum and then that one speaker they worked with a lot passes away and then sometimes the whole thing falls apart. And so what we're trying to do here is something sustainable because the wisdom that these elders had, they've given to us as teachers and then our goal is to give it to the children in, in ways that just have less trauma, less suffering, less hardship as we try to sort of improve their lives and but we're, we're dealing with elders who who suffered. Uh, Marge Dudson told me <laughs> And she said it's impossible for you to understand how much we suffered. When people didn't want our language, and so I'm, I'm so grateful for what they went through. I'm so grateful for what our children go through, where people don't tell them to stop speaking it. People don't tell them they can't speak it, and people don't punish them. And, and being hit on the hand with a ruler is traumatic, I think, for speaking your language. But also, like that's pretty mild compared to some of the things that elders have told me about. Putting rags with chemicals stuffed into kids' mouths and picking them up by their hair, and uh, some some folks who went to a school called Wrangell Institute, they said they saw a kid who was speaking Klingit in the winter time, and the, the teachers made him go out and put his tongue on a metal flagpole, and he was out there for for a long time. And so, as we think about this stuff, and we want kids, I think, to grow up absent of that, but not 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 at a point where they don't know that that's things that happen. And so when I was raising my daughter and I was telling her about some of this stuff and how there used to be signs up in our community that said, no Indians allowed. Uh, And I told her all in Thingit, it was very hard to come up with ways to talk about racism in Thingit. Like I had to really think about, like I would say they, they hated us because we weren't white and they wouldn't let us go into these buildings. And so she was probably three years old and she looked at me and she was very mad and she said, when I grew up, I'm going to make signs that say no English. And so I thought it was neat because she just related it to a language. Like she couldn't even relate it to the, these other concepts. And, you know, I was very, it was a wonderful response and to think about that. And so as I raised my kids, like I want them to know these things happened and to know that they live in a different world where no one's going to do that to us. But then also I want to honor these elders and these ones that we worked with because because they're so wonderful and, and they they know, I think, what's at stake. And they also know that they have limited time. You know, when you're working with 90-year-olds, sometimes you have limited time and there's a lot of pressure. But I want to make sure that people know that there's medicine in our language and that the medicine is continuing to go to the elders to get the knowledge and to pass it along to children. And so for some of these, like with Jaqeetla, uh, Thanks to her daughter, Rinalda, uh, I was able to send videos back and forth with her speaking Klingit, so that she would have, you know, someone to talk to and, and just she really had fun talking and, and speaking Klingit. She was just so wonderful when, when I'd see her, just how happy she was to, to see me and to be able to just start speaking and Klingit with each other. So it's a difficult subject. And so we'll, we'll talk about this for a few minutes and then we'll transition and we'll start to wrap up the episode with funny things because you got to laugh after doing some of the harder stuff. But uh, things that have happened um, maybe in the nest or just with the language, uh, dealing with families and getting your family to speak it again, it could be very, very fun and also very funny. Um, but anyone have any thoughts on these transition periods that we live in where we're losing speakers, but we're also making speakers at the same time?
4: Yeah, <laughs> um, you know, recently Sea Alaska Heritage Institute has started releasing um, the 1980s uh, celebration videos, which are really fantastic. Um, you get to see like a lot of the grandparents that we grew up with or, you know, a lot of the old dancing and singing and the way things were done. How many years ago? 40 years ago? Are we that old? <laughs> um <laughs> But one of the things that really struck me about those videos is that somebody on the stage could tell a joke and fling it and the whole room would laugh. You know, it really struck me when I watched that and the jokes happening and and, and everybody in the room understanding the tling it, or most everybody and laughing at that joke. And, you know, I... I work really hard to make sure also that my children are aware of, you know, the situation and what the situation used to be like and what it's like now and what we're trying to do. And we recently went to a language gathering, and sometimes, you know, my eight year old daughter would be like, oh, this is so long and I, you know, it's getting kind of boring and I don't understand what they're saying. And, I have to talk to her. I talked to her about when I was a kid. And when I was a kid, I grew up in Daishu Drive in Haynes. I grew up next to the old folks home in Haynes. I had all these grandmas and grandpas who spoke Klinget, right? I grew up at a culture camp with all these grandmas and grandpas who spoke Klingit And at that point in my life, I don't think a lot of us understood how amazing that was. Like, like I wish that As a kid, somebody would have told me, like, these guys aren't going to be around very long. They're some of the last speakers of the Tlingit language. And that really, instead of you running over there to play, let's go sit by the grandmas and grandpas. And to have that opportunity as a kid, and I look back and I just wish that I would have done it differently, but I didn't know any better. And so I want to make sure that my children know better and that they can consciously make that choice to say, hey, I'm going to go sit by that grandma. I'm going to go hug that auntie or, you know, I'm going to go check in and kind of be more present. Um, and so I think it's really important that we, we keep that connection for our, our children so that they know, um, but also being careful and mindful to know that they are kids, right? And they want to play and, you know, we can put so much pressure on them, but we have to be mindful that, w- that they don't resent it. Um, which reminds me, my daughter actually resented my job. I was with her her whole babyhood. And when I started working in the language nest and I was working with other children, she resented the language. Because it took me away from her. and um, now she's she's back in it, she wants to learn it, and she's actually mad at me that she doesn't know as much. but I was like, you resisted so much, right? Like um, but she she said one something one time when I was talking to her about our languages. She said, "Our language is like a spirit, and you can't take that away from us." She was very angry, right and and that stuck with me. like, you can't take it away. It's like a spirit. And um, I'm gonna leave it there. Cheesh.
3: Um, yeah, I mean, I, I'm a beadwork artist, right? And I just recently was just in Santa Fe for the Santa Fe Indian market. And I was sitting in the airport in Santa Fe when I saw the news about Irene. And I was sitting in the airport, like bawling, like already, you know, exhausted and emotional. And then just getting that news, it all just hit me. And I was sitting there crying my eyes out, just the weight of the loss of a single speaker. You know, there's so much that we lose from a single person. And I just remember sitting there and I thought, you know, I was initially really stressed because I was getting in at midnight and we were going to come in and open the nest. (laughs) Immediately the next morning at eight, and I was like, I went from thinking, I'm so stressed about this, to, man, I cannot wait to get back into the classroom to work with these kids because the work that we're doing is so important, I think. And, you know, like you're saying, we're trying to build more speakers. That's what we're doing. We absolutely are doing that. And it's there's no other way that <laughs> that we can do it. Um, and it was it was just really hard Um Really hard news, but I mean, as far as like my own like language journey, I mentioned before that you know I never expected to be a teacher, I never expected to be here. Um, I came into this job with language grant experience, you know, which was great. I could do it, but um, I went to a conference. It was a language gathering, a language teacher conference that I think ASB had coordinated, and. A lot of you folks were there, and I remember sitting in that classroom and seeing all this work that all these really amazing teachers are doing, both with Klinge and Chadkil and Smalgech, and realizing that, like, I'm not doing this work that everyone else is. I'm doing more work around the language and having just that kind of, like, epiphany moment of this is the work that I want to be doing, I need to be working in the language just like everybody else because how am I contributing to the language when I'm just working around it? You know, like I can organize events, but like I could I could do so much more for our language actually working in it. And so, I mean, I, I made that leap. I worked really closely with Doth Jenny and everybody here at The Nest. And um, I'm so thankful for that. Thank you. I'm I'm just so thankful for having that support and, you know, the opportunity to come over and work with the languages because now I feel like I'm doing what I should have been doing with my life a long time ago. And I'm seeing, you know, the growth in my own language and in my daughter's language. And, you know, there are just moments every day where she says something or, you know, she does something and I'm like, this is what, this is making it all worth it. You know, we're doing the work. We're creating these new speakers. And it's, yeah, it's been a lot. Um, I'm not going to cheese. Yeah, it's,
5: for me, it's so important to know how to grieve because language work is so close to home. It's so heavy, so important, but it's also so fun and it matters that when you're working on the language, you're putting love into it. That when you sit by elders, they can tell you're happy to see them and be by them. And when you're setting an example for younger learners, they can see that you're having fun and they like being there too. Because it, it affects your learning process. And so um, a big part of that for me and being on my healing journey is knowing how to grieve. And I learned through the HIA. The uh, potlatches in Caltech and Nulato—that's where my dad's from—and um, I think something that helped me was one of the nights. It, you know, our potlatches last for eight days, and toward as the week went on, um, we were singing our morning songs, and one of the uncles came on the mic and he said, "If you lost somebody, if you're hurting." don't wipe your tears because this is your time to grieve and you need to let your tears fall all the way to the ground. And for me, it was such a moment of release. And um, our potlatches take us through that grieving period because you need to go through it. You need to be deliberate about it so that when you go to do your work, you're ready again. And so um, another interesting part of it for me is learning how to set emotional boundaries with class because it's heavy. It's hard news looking at the numbers. It's hard to take in. It can consume you. And I think when I did start learning about the loss of our languages and the process um, of harm that was done to our elders, um, it did consume me a little bit. Like it beat me to the ground and I was ineffective. I wasn't able to learn or put myself out there and so now, what I try to share with younger people is if you're in class and it's orange shirt day, honoring the loss and the trauma of our boarding school history, um, maybe you have your own process for grieving, and you're only you know your own pattern of energy and your healing. So um, sometimes I'm like, it's okay to have an emotional boundary. If someone's sharing hard news with you, it's okay to be like, I'm aware of this history already. I live and breathe it every day. Every day is orange shirt day for me. And today I've been working hard on my social and emotional well-being and I have work to do. So um, that's been important to me in my language journey and my healing journey is like, you know, and then maybe on Sunday I'll wake up and I'll be, I can feel the weight of it and I'll be like, today's the day. So I'll go burn food for my ancestors on the beach and the te- I'll just let the tears fall all the way, so um that helps me a lot. Okay.
2: Uh, uh. uh. A while back, we, we had lost a speaker named Dasya Ethel Makinin, and, and I did a lot of work with her. She's Chukna Khadi from Sitka, Chqaid Claus from Angoon. And I remember just how devastated I was, and so I just and I just wanted to fall into that sadness for a while. So I, I agree, you, you've got to give yourself that time, that space, to just, just mourn that loss. But then, to find a way out of that and to get back into the energy, you know. So for me, I, I basically try and think of like, what is everything that these colonizers did to our peoples, uh, especially the ones who were like colonizer, there's like a scale of being a colonizer. And then on one side, you've got like Andrew Jackson and Richard Pratt and just some really, some of the worst human beings, I think, who've ever lived. And then then you've got these other sort of areas, as a spectrum. And so when I think of folks who are pretty far on the spectrum in terms of being just horrible, I think of I have to counter the things that they did with my work and my energy and my dedication and my efforts to... Be transformative. And so I try to catch a breath, get a rest. It's almost like this raven story where the whole world floods and raven sticks his nose through the sky and he's just twirling and swinging. And at some point he begins to say, let me fall on this kelp island. And so he looks down and there's a kelp island and he falls down there and and then he's like, finally I can rest. And then he hears this breathing behind him and there's a sea otter. And he's like, oh, Trying to get back to work so that's also the thing it's like you you can but you also have to find a way out of it and you also have to watch out for those who are in this language movement so that you can pull them out of it as well because we've seen people who who have a breakdown and then we lose them and we can't really afford that either and, and it's difficult because in language revitalization work it's, it's like that old saying, like you could pick your friends, but you can't pick your family. So you, you also can't pick your language revitalization team. And, and in many ways, we're very fortunate. We're very, you know, like the, the good fortune has come that we have people who, who get along and can laugh together and who can bond and who can help each other. But sometimes you have to be working with people you don't get along with and that can be really difficult and that also requires a lot of maturity and and I think also boundaries and then just having good open communication about how to overcome some of the times when you're not only going to disagree but you're going to do things that really actually hurt each other and to try and move beyond that and so to start to wrap us up and to get us you know our ceremonies that you have a morning time and then you have a fun time so we're going to try and push this we're going to try and get it towards fun and i'll start with a couple of stories that i I think are just magical moments of language comprehension and also just like just general funniness with kids so there are two children who are in the language nest so these two children who are probably four or five so they're at a celebration which is one of our gatherings and there's like dance group after dance group and lots of you know thousands of people watching dancers and performances and artwork and language and all this stuff that's going on is just so wonderful and knock your is seek your daughter is introducing herself and you know we have clans and our clans have houses and one of these houses is called Kakan Hit, which means Sun House. Beautiful name. Uh, but your daughter is introducing herself, and she says, kakan uh, Hit So she says from the Sun House. And then I hear your daughter say and then, and then your son says, "She's not from Kakan <laughs> don't listen to her. <laughs> and it was, and I it was so amazing because I was thinking, well, I don't know about that response, but just, they understand it and they're also hilarious and they're, you know, but just so like, she's not from the sun. Don't listen to her. And it was just so neat. And then, you know, as I committed to speaking only Tlingit to our kids. And as I'd walk around the community and just speak with them. And it doesn't matter who's around us. doesn't matter where we're at. I will just speak to them in Tlingit, uh, which includes arguing about over whether or not we should be buying bell peppers and and all kinds of just fun stuff with kids. And we're at a pretty large public function here. I was talking to my two daughters in Tlingit. And someone who's sitting next to them says, do they understand what you're saying? I said, yes, they understand everything that I say. And I looked at my oldest daughter and I said, which is, do you understand And she says, no. (laughs) And she said, and she pauses. She has this nice comedic pause and she says, only Spanish. Okay. So then we just sort of carried on. We finished our business there and we got in the car hours later. And she said, I was just kidding, dad. (laughs) And I said, it was hilarious. And so, like, that's that's what we want. It's a living language, which includes sometimes moments that you couldn't predict. Like, I couldn't predict that these moments would happen and that these, you know, would have children who could understand the language and could do things that are sometimes funny. And sometimes they're not trying to be funny. They're just being, you know, being kids and learning about the world. Y'all got any stories to share before we wrap this whole thing up? I got a
4: good one. It's okay. Not with you. We'll see. <laughs> <laughs> so my daughter Kinsey is best friends with Renee's daughter Shawadke, and we had picked her up and we were driving out to our house one day and she's going on, blah, 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 blah. And, oh, yeah, that goose. And and she says, well, not this goose. And she points down because in flingit goose is a vagina. And she says, not this goose, but the one that's flying in the sky over there. <laughs> and she was, like, dead serious. It was, like, for her, it wasn't funny. But to me, I was, like, cracking up inside because I'm, like, now she has to differentiate between what a Tlingit goose is and what a goose is in English. And, you know, and then it reminded me at one time, like, you know, my daughter didn't even know, like, the word for vagina, just like my son probably doesn't know the word for penis in English. And um, my cousin came over one time and my daughter was about two and he's like, oh, my gosh, aren't you just a silly goose? (laughs) And my daughter looked at me like, oh, my gosh, who is this? And why is he talking about me being a goose? And so, you know, finding that kind of humor in, in our language, when, when the kids probably don't even realize, like, and was saying that, that it's funny, but like, you know, they're differentiating things or maybe they don't know the other English word or maybe, you know, just making those references. And so we have a lot of fun um, teaching our children our language.
3: Um, I have a couple of fun stories, I think. Um, one of them is that we were just up in Klukwan with uh, my in-laws and Kachkanik had, you know, she started to get a fever and then she was like, my throat hurts. And I looked and she had strep. And it was like Saturday night when we figured this out. And, uh, you know, there's no clinics open in Haines or in clock one at the time and so we had to go through this whole process of like trying to you know being on call with the like nurse line whatever and then we finally got to go to like the search which is our southeast regional health consortium um their after hours i guess kind of clinic which was like technically in the emergency room it was like 10 p.m by the time we got down there and she was just, you know, she wasn't feeling good. She was really nervous because it was a doctor, you know. Um, and so we were, as we were sitting there and waiting, I was like, Hey, Une has this podcast and he talks with his kids at the end of this. Do you want to listen to it with me? So we we're sitting there and listening. And it was at the very end of your first episode, which was just phenomenal. And I think you were talking with Shabat and and... Um, I think you said ka just just like ka And after you said that, she interrupted and she looked at me and she goes, It's like that story where the teacher didn't want the kids to speak linget. And that was just such a phenomenal moment. I was like, hold on, pause, say it again. I like got my phone out to record her. But um so for people that don't know. Um, so what he had said was, sometimes people say that I don't need Klinget and that we only use English here. And she looked at me and she recognized that, like the relevance of that. And she was like, it's like the teacher that didn't want the kids to speak Klinget." Because I've also had really long conversations with my daughter about boarding schools and you know what that's done to our languages. And so I thought, one, that was phenomenal that she remembered it and that she was able to relate it to our histories. But I almost cried because I was like, she understood him. <laughs> you know, it was yeah. it was such a great moment. I was like, ah, oh, like this work, all this work, these choices are all paying off. Um, so that was a really great moment just a really recent one. But um I think having such young kids, um especially in like our families that are doing this work in the language too. They don't realize that it's work, you know, they just think like, oh, we're going to sing it Schoon, you know, but um, the like change that I've seen in my family has just been phenomenal. Um, she has, I think because her and also her cousins are also in TCLL, so they're all doing work in the language. And so it's, I think it's encouraged her grandpa to also start to learn more, which is really amazing. Um, he's, you know, downloading the, Alaska heritage jobs, getting all the books and stuff and trying to use it with them at home. But he always likes to tell the story where he was trying to say something to her and Koch connect just looks at him and goes, I think you need to keep practicing Papa. <laughs> oh <my gosh. laughs> it's, it's just, it's so great, you know, to see these, like the generations that, um, didn't learn it, start to participate in it. And it's such a, such a wholesome experience out of that. Um, but I'll tell one last story and then I'll be done I promise um, so like I said we were just up in Cluckon recently and Kachkinik, she just loves to joke in the language and um, I don't remember what we were talking about but then she goes to cut you hot <laughs> 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 so <laughs> to cut you Han means hey everybody or kind of like all y'all but she changed it to hot which means poop <laughs> <laughs> And I kinda wanna use it now as like our own version of like shit asses, you know <laughs>
4: to cut you hot. Uh <laughs> oh. That's a good Uh-oh. She just reminded me of one more story. <laughs> um, you know, my mom was always like very resistant, you know, our our family didn't have thing it in it since my great grandmother went to Chamao boarding school and so my mom would always say, well, I'm just never going to learn the thing. I'm never going to learn it. I'm never going to learn that language. But what she didn't know was that we were going to inadvertently do that to her and make her learn the language. So we just use certain words in our house for our babies. So like itcha for a bottle or for a binky or for a diaper. And so we constantly use that where our children didn't know even tlau, like a penis or a vagina. So like we they don't know the English words for it. And so pretty soon my mom's like, oh, go get your itchaw, go get your kachadiki, you know. And so she's she started using the language without even knowing it. And so that's that's one tactic you can use is just use the language. Don't teach your children the English words for them. And then the people around you will have to learn it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Mila Telka, you got some anti-laugh jokes for
3: us?
5: (laughs) I don't have any jokes and I don't have anything funny because nothing is funny to me. (laughs) Uh, We'll see. The only thing I would add is just how cool it is that the kids have such open minds because um, I was here this year for the first day of school. And when I went home, I realized... Those kids spent the whole day with adults who spoke nothing but thinget to them. There were maybe 10 or 20 minutes in the beginning of the school day where it was like they were kind of looking at us from person to person, like, what are they saying? But from then on, it's like if you get at their level and smile at them and have fun and play, they don't care what language (laughs) you talk to them. And their minds are just so open. They're just having fun. And they're like, they look happy to be here. So it was kind of a good reminder for me to have an open mind
4: yeah wow a lot of people want to thank and recognize um you're being one of the biggest proponents and um you know kind of pushing me into this job so i want to thank you for for doing that and for the footwork in there and um uh you know a lot of the the folks from hawaii uh that helped us. Um, they let me go observe in their classrooms. They also came here and and sat with us for hours and and did exactly what Kune said. Told us, well, that's going to work or that's not going to work. Um, so that was that's always really helpful. Um, President Peterson, I want to thank for being so supportive of uh, our languages and and just pushing forward with us doing this work here, and also on Showadki, our um, my supervisor Sarah Dibdahl, Um She's got just as our supervisor, she just lets us do what we need to do. She encourages us and supports us and um, does not micromanage us. And I think that when you're looking at language programs, one of the key things that I can say is that um, nobody knows better the work that needs to be done than the people who are doing the work. And so if administrators can just hear us out on that, you know, hear us and listen to us. Sarah does that very well, and I really appreciate it. And I just want to thank my team. Like, um, you know, all of us that are sitting here today, and Yetutin, to and uh, my family, because sometimes, you know, it feels like we sacrifice our family at times for the work that we do.
2: And yeah, yeah, way goodness <laughs> Yeah, and goodness we that's how we're gonna wrap up this episode folks we are so grateful for all those who contribute uh you could find the language nest. Uh, You can support this language nest. You can support language revitalization efforts in your area. If you are involved in any sort of community leadership, you could change your community. You can start using indigenous place names. You can start helping to get indigenous languages back onto the land, back into community spaces. You can change education so that indigenous languages are part of the standard and are also just part of the operational practices of everything. If you got money in your pockets, you can give money to places that are supporting efforts like this. It's grant funded. A lot of this stuff is grant funded, but it shouldn't be scratching around trying to find money everywhere. There should be sustainable funding for things like this. So if you're running for some big public office, you put signs up in the community, your work should be finding sustainable funding for language programs like this. Because AO2E stood up one time, Herman Davis, he said, We didn't do this to ourselves. Why are we the only ones that are doing all the work to get ourselves out of it? So pitch in, find a way, help out, do good things, be strong with your language, have courage. I'm so happy you listened to them, our language nest teachers. This has been the Tongue Unbroken. It's a project that's born out of the Next Step initiative, which is the brain baby of Ana Jose, Joel Monique, Yesenia Medea. It's been produced by Daniel Goodman. We're so happy that you're here. So happy that you're doing work in languages, thinking about languages, helping out, getting ready to help out. Get off your butt. Do something. Check out other Next Up initiative podcasts Black Fat Femme, Beauty Translated, Partition. Goodness, cheesh. Catch you next time.
0: Trinity School of Natural Health can help you be part of the fast growing health and wellness industry.